from the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School. This is Work and Life on Business Radio. Welcome to Work and Life. So glad you're here. Listening in on the conversation we have every week, exploring all those things related to work and the rest of your life, family, your community, our society, and your private self, your mind, body, and spirit. I am your host, Stu Friedman. I'm the founding director of Wharton's Work-Life Integration Project and of the Wharton Leadership Program. I now run a management consulting and training company. It's called Total Leadership. And you can visit totalleadership.org for information on what we, what we offer, including a new audio course based on the Total Leadership book and principles and practices. It's called Four Way Wins on Himalaya.com. There are also courses on LinkedIn and Coursera. New episodes of this show premiere Thursdays at 5 p.m. Eastern time here on Sirius XM channel 132. And you can follow us on Twitter at SXM Business, as well as me at Stu Friedman. My guest today, one of my favorite people in the whole world of leadership and organizations and human resources, uh, is got a brand new book that is a really important one, and a very practical one. She says that we're experiencing the greatest global shift in the world of work in a century. Thank you, coronavirus pandemic, increasing climate catastrophes, the rise of totalitarianism, to name a few that have created a drastic shift in our world just in the last couple of years. And her new book aims to help us all redesign the way we, the way we work, the way we live whether we manage a small team or a huge company that's multinational in scope. Linda Gratton is recognized as a global thought leader on the future of work. And her book is called Redesigning Work, How to Transform Your Organization and Make Hybrid Work for Everyone. Linda, welcome to Work and Life. Thank you. Thank you, Stu. A bit of background. Uh, So listeners know Linda Gratton is a Professor of Management Practice at London Business School. So we have the same title, except mine's now Emeritus, and Linda's is not yet, uh, where she has worked for over 30 years. Uh, She's the founder of the Future of Work Research Consortium, which uh, I'm sure she's going to be telling us about. It's, It's really an amazing group of people developing new ideas for the new world of work. Um, And her books have been translated into more than 15 languages. She's been awarded the Lifetime Achievement Award by HR Magazine, or you might say HR Magazine, probably, (laughs) and named by Business Thinkers 50 as one of the top 15 business thinkers in the world. All right, Linda, um, in in your new book about redesigning work, you do not talk about the Arsenal Football Club and uh, their recent loss to the Liverpool Football Club. But that's okay. It's understandable since you wrote the book before that match occurred. Um, But you did write it at a time that is really uh, of the moment. Um, This this jolt, this this collective jolt that uh, that we have all experienced into into remote slash hybrid work. So we're moving now into the endemic phase of uh, the the coronavirus assault. And many are returning to the physical office as 
as we know it, um, you know, there, there's a, a need for a new vision, a reimagination. Uh, we're, we're also in the throes of the new geopolitical world order that's going to affect everything about the way we work and how we think about our relationships in the, in a globalized world. Where to begin? Your book is so rich with ideas and, uh, you know, practical frameworks to use to, to manage these huge issues for everyone across the, the, the spectrum in the, in the economy. Um, what's top of mind for you as you think about what you're trying to do uh, with this wonderful new book? What's your primary goal with it? Thank you, Stu. Uh, let, let, me, let me say two things I'd really love your listeners to think about if, they, if they're still thinking about the Liverpool versus Arsenal game uh, beyond that. The first is, you know, I like to think about this, uh, Stu, as going back to the T Ford. Now, you and I weren't alive when the T Ford was made. But if you remember, when you look at history books, you could only buy that car in one shape and in one color. It was black and it was a T Ford. And you were pleased to buy it, Stu, because actually you'd never owned a car before. I think that's sort of where we were before the pandemic. If you want to work, you have to work in this way, this color, this size. Mm-hmm. What we've seen since the pandemic is enormous amounts of experimentation. Mm-hmm. I've been through my various, you know, my column at MIT Sloan and my other bits and pieces, really talking about all the experimentation that we've seen. So the first thing I would say to anyone who's at work right now is look out for what's happening around you. And you're going to be astounded at some companies saying, you know, you can take a sabbatical, you you can do a four-day week, you can work anywhere you want for three months, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that that's going to, that variety is going to give us an enormous amounts of choice. So the second thing I'd say to our listeners, too, is think about what's important to you. And I would actually start with a question, which I do in the book, Redesigning Work, with the question, what helps me be most productive? Because it turns out what helps you to be most productive, in a sense, structures how it is you might want to work. So, for example, you and I are basically writers. We spend a lot of time in focused activity. So for us, uh, the most important thing is that we have undisturbed time. Time is our most important asset. It doesn't really matter if we're in the university or we're sitting at home in our studio or wherever it is. We just need to be focused. I would suggest Some people, that it's perhaps more a matter of attention. Which well, time, yes, course, exactly. You, right? yeah, you don't want to be interrupted. That's the most important thing. It doesn't really matter. You have to choose the place that you think you're going to be most interrupted. But let's imagine that your job was very much about cooperating, where you want to really think, talk to others about their ideas and so on. You can certainly do that across Zoom or or, or a Microsoft platform. But actually, what we know is face-to-face is really important. So here's the thing, that actually face-to-face is an office activity. And so the office becomes a place of cooperation. Really, there's no point in you going into the office if all you're doing is either doing focused work on your own and you're likely to be disturbed by you do, by when you do it, or else you're doing collaborative work where you know you may be talking to your teams and you're doing it on your computer. So if you're doing all your talk with your teams on your computer, again, you don't need to be in the office. So I think that 
the, the starting point, that's number one is loads of variety. You're going to have a lot of choice. Number two is you have to ask yourself, how am I going to be productive? And what's going to be productive for you is not going to be the same as somebody else. And as you add everybody up into teams and then into organizations, then of course, organizations need their signatures. They need to say, for example, one of the companies I, I work with is Arup, a big architectural practice. They've said, we want people back in the office as much as possible. We're going to make the, the office so fabulous, so gorgeous that you're going to want to be there. And when you're there, you're going to be involved in these incredible multidisciplinary groups. You're going to meet lots of people. We're going to be community-based, et cetera, et cetera. That, for me, is the office at its best. But for lots of us, a me, space for of cooperation. As you call yeah, it. It's a place of real, honest, human to human cooperation. But actually, if it's focus work, like the work I do, writing books, honestly, I'm better doing it at my home where I'm not disturbed, even more so than my office, because I get disturbed in my office. Mm-hmm. Just one final point, Stu. Uh, I was just rereading my interview with uh, CPP Investments, who one of is a Canadian uh, investment company, and mm-hmm. they they realized that over the pandemic, productivity actually went up. And they were saying, well, why is that? What they realized is that a lot of their highest potential people were doing jobs that required them to be focused. And when they were in the office, they were disturbed all the time. Mm -hmm. So when they started working from home, suddenly they found productivity went up that year. So I think it's the the reason I use the T. T Ford example is that you've got to choose what's right for you. And, and there's going to be a lot of choice available for you. Yes. The, uh, the, the jolt that the pandemic, uh, you know, brought upon us all was a kind of unfreezing. And you refer to Kurt Levin's, uh, you know, brilliant formulation, simple, but profoundly so from 60 years ago, in terms of how organizations and social systems change, they need to be unfrozen. Um, and, and this has done it for us, hasn't it? Uh, we, there's, there's a, there's an openness to, to possibility and, uh, you know, by necessity, there's been this, you know, incredible, uh, blooming of all kinds of possibilities, which has made it, uh, which is really kind of broken through the inertia, uh, which, you know, the model T version of uh, of work design used to have i mean i henry ford said you can have any car you want so long as it's black any color uh as as you're saying but now there's now it's uh you can have any work design and that fits with the rest of your life uh and it doesn't have to be just in one color it can be you know it can be a rainbow but mm-hmm. uh there's still a lot of uh inertia there's still a lot of let's call it old school thinking uh, so if you're if you're in an organization, whatever size, whatever scale and, you know, wh- wherever it might be in within our listening range, um, you know, what where do you start in, in t- like you, you talk about, you know, beginning with understanding what what matters and, and then reimagining the 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 new world that you want to create? Where does one take the first step? Well, certainly the understanding is really important. And, and as I said, uh, I said earlier, Stuart, that's about understanding what the job is about. I think that's actually the most important thing, by the way. But also understanding yourself in terms of your character, your, your, your personality, your life cycle. 
And then it's and then it's a question of imagination. And I think what we're seeing, mm. I, I'm, I'm just writing something at the moment where I'm sort of saying that we're, there's two journeys that, that we're going through at the moment. Individuals are going through the inner journey, imagining what their possible selves could be. And mm. organizations and leaders are going looking out and saying, the outer journey, you know, what, what are other what are other companies doing? What 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 could we be doing? And I think you know, I would also say, coming back to the Lewin example of the freeze, you know, I've been saying for a bit of time now, we're beginning to get into the refreeze. But actually, mm-hmm. I don't think we are. I do think a lot is still up for play. I think organizations are on journeys. They've started to think about, you know, what what is it we need? They've begun to reimagine what's possible. They've begun to to look at, to test it against you know, aspects that are very important. For example, is this fair? And quite often it's not. Quite often it's not fair that this is happening to one group of employees mm-hmm. and not to another. So they're now having to go back and say, well, okay, how do we redesign it so it's fairer? And then the, uh, the whole change management process you and I are so familiar with, which would be to say, how do you enact it? How do you move into action? You have to get lots of people to agree to do that. So I honestly think most companies have only really started on that cycle. And if mm-hmm. they say, you know, job done, you've all got to be back in the office or you've all got to be back in the office Tuesday, Wednesdays and Thursdays. I don't think that is job done. And I think what you're going to find is that that was simply the opening conversation and you're going to get a lot more imagination. So what I'd say to, to people is do two things. Firstly, think about what you want and be a social pioneer. You know, organizations change because individuals say, that's not what I want. I want something different from that. And also take a look at what's happening outside your organization. This is a great time to be an employee because labor markets are really tight. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the war for talent, I hadn't expected it to hot up at this period, actually, Stu, to be honest, but it has. Mm-hmm. And so suddenly, you know, employees, you, workers, are in a very powerful position. Seize that power. Let me remind listeners, uh, we are work and life. That's what you're listening to right now on Business Radio, Sirius XM Channel 132. I'm your host, Stu Friedman. And my guest today is Linda Gratton, who's a professor of management practice at the London Business School and author of the wonderful new book, Redesigning Work, very much suited to our day. Yes, well, being a social pioneer comes with some risks. I want to talk about those, but... Um, you know, uh, before we get there, what are the futures that that we're not imagining that we ought to be imagining? What what's what do you see as possibilities that are you know just beyond the the grasp of of most people who might be listening? I think that's such a wonderful question, actually, Stu. And I think that's a really interesting question for all of us. L- let me give you my take on that, please. Um, you know, when people are talking about the, the redesign of work, um, often they're not really thinking more than a week. You know, they're saying, you know, we want you back in the office for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesdays and Thursdays, let's say. So the focus is very much in the short term. Mm-hmm. I think the real missed opportunity is actually looking at it across a whole life cycle. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, what fundamentally is happening at the moment is that, organizations for all sorts of reasons are giving people more choice. And from an individual perspective, 
from the perspective of you and I and our listeners, that's about autonomy. You know, when I am given choice and I act on it in terms of my personal agency, I become autonomous. Autonomy is at the heart of what I think is going to happen to our life cycle, which is that it moves from three, you know, the, the, three, the three stages, full-time, full-time education, full-time work, full-time retirement, to something where people can move in and out of uh, starting their own business or taking sabbatical. That was never going to work unless people had autonomy, unless they had some choice about how and where they worked. So I think- and freedom. One thing- we haven't really noticed yet, but I'm very excited about, is that we've really only begun be, seen work happening on a sort of weekly basis. What do we do from Monday to Friday? Actually, if you add all those weeks up and add them up to a whole life, life cycle, your whole lifetime, mm-hmm. that gives you a huge opportunity to move in and out of work in a way that I didn't see happening before. And I think that's very exciting. It is... Uh important to take a more expansive view of of time and space that's for sure i happened to be at the grand canyon uh in arizona just a few days ago where you know you stand at the rim and you see you know a couple billion years of history in a space that is well beyond your 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 comprehension and then in the nighttime sky just explodes with with uh, sparkling lights of stars you know so far away and you can't help but think of, in a broader scale about your life and 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 to put it in a kind of almost transcendent uh frame um but you're saying Linda that we ought to be doing that in 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 a practical way thinking about well how does what I'm doing now fit in the larger scope so what is what is a multi-stage life uh, as as you refer to it, how does that fit with what people ought to be um, contemplating and acting on now as they as they you know understand what matters, reimagine what the future might be? And speaking here just about individual business professionals yeah. and other workers, yeah. and yeah. and where they might then start to experiment. Well, you know, one of the things that organizations is moving towards is a more flexible idea about the employment contract, both mm-hmm. in terms of letting you go, bringing you back, letting you do, you know, like Unilever is doing, saying you can actually work for for other people whilst you work for us. Like Deloitte oh, is wow. saying you can go on a sabbatical, you know, like CP, whatever. So all of that, you can just take it as an individual incident. But what I would like us to do, Stu, and I know this is very much how you think about it, is I'd like to say, look, you have an opportunity, all of us have an opportunity to reassign time. Now, in the three-stage life, time was very much assigned for you. You know, education was at the beginning. You did all your education then. You worked and then you retired. But imagine you took some of your retirement time and moved it back into your work time. Let's say, for example, you're a guy and you take paternity leave. Now, that's a marvelous thing to do. And if you can look at flexibility and take autonomy across the whole of your life, rather than just looking at it a week by week, I think that gives us courage to live a multi-stage life. And frankly, you know, when I wrote the book, The Hundred Year Life Stew, one of the things that was so overwhelming for me when I wrote that book was that if you live to 100, you work into your 70s. Now, you and I are not in our 70s yet, but we're sort of moving Oh, I'm months, months away. 
I know, we're moving in that direction, <laughs> Stu. So the only way we can do that is actually having a different tempo of life, a different rhythm of life. And mm. I think what I'm so excited about the redesign of work is that I think it's the first time I've ever seen organizations acknowledging that the rhythm of life, which of work, which remember came from the industrial revolution and the creation of factories actually doesn't work for the sort of cognitive human uh, endeavor that's so important, or indeed for the work that is still done in factories or it by delivery to delivery people and so on. Back to Henry Ford. Back uh, to Henry who, Ford. Who, who, of course, helped to propagate that model of, of the employment you know, relationship. Um, and, and, and now we're seeing uh, just a, an incredible variety of possibilities. And yet there's so much, I want to get back to the, the question of, uh, you know, resistance and inertia and, and how, what is it that, um, that helps people to move uh, in, in the face of that, D- you know, despite the unfreezing and the opening of yeah. possibility yeah. with yeah. all these examples, which your book is rich with, um, you know, of, of new, po- new ways, new ways of, of thinking about work, new ways of designing work, new ways of structuring the employment contracts and relationships. Um, what, what, are, where is the, you know, the, the most difficult challenge that, you know, you, that, that needs to be overcome, uh, to, to really muster the will, the courage, as you say, to, to act on, on the new possibilities that are abounding? Well, I think it's really difficult to do with this stuff. You know, we've been following a whole bunch of organizations as they try and move into more creative ways of working. And it isn't at all easy. You know, so, for example, it, it, if you're working in an office and you say, well, we want to get together to do something. And you say, well, hang on, how do we get together? And where do we get together? And, mm-hmm. you know, and that's, and, and I think we're going through a period now where the friction costs are still quite high. People mm-hmm. are finding this difficult. But remember, Stu, the reason why we can bring more flexibility than Henry Ford did is because of technology. You know, one thing we learned during the pandemic is that we have these astounding technologies, you and I using one right now, Mm -hmm. which allows us to coordinate in ways we'd never imagined before. That technology is also going to help us with scheduling, uh, with, you know, working out who should be together when, you know, all of this stuff. Honestly, you know, there's, there's MBA students all around the world launching organizations capable of doing this. So, that's that's not going to be a problem. So there is friction at the moment and it is hard, but I promise you it's going to get easier and, and, and technology will play a role in that, as indeed will team level agreements. One of the things that we're doing quite a lot now with teams is, is working with them to help them make agreements about how they work together. You know, what's the purpose of what we're trying to do? How do we do it? How do we bring in the fact that each one of us is different and we've got Mm -hmm. different needs? And that conversation is going to be a really important part of of what of what happens next. So I think the reason we're not doing it, uh, Stu, is because it's difficult and it's and you have to approach it in an intentional way. And I, I want to... And in a collective really, way, you're saying. Right? And in a collective way. So and that that's intentionality. Shared... Yeah. Sorry, yeah. No, no, pl- yeah. please continue. The intentionality and the collective purpose that's, of design. 
Yeah, that's that's it, Stu. And that's hard because, frankly, we never had to design work. All we had to do was to get everybody into the office all of, all of the time. And they just they just did it themselves. You know, hum, humans are incredibly cooperative. If you put them in the same space, they're more than capable of working everything through. But that's not going to work. Why? Because it, it it's so difficult for people to do that. And now that we've broken away from those habits, we realize how much we lost in terms of spending time with our family, spending time with our neighbor, our neighbors, you know, spending time with ourselves. We, we lost a lot of that. We want, we don't want, we've now gained that during the pandemic. We don't want to lose that, Mm -hmm. but we have to become much more expert in how to design work. We can do that but that's what people are frightened of. So part of what I wanted to do in the book, Stu, was to say, you can do it, and here's how. Mm-hmm. And and the thing that they're afraid of is what? It's just, it's just too difficult, too complicated. Mm-hmm. It's going to look unfair. It's going mm-hmm. to take too much time. It's going to reduce productivity. It's going to, you know, and it won't do any of those things if it's done intentionally, mm-hmm. but it has to be intentional. And, and that's what I've talked about in the book and, and the work that I do to support companies is very much about that. Which I want to hear more about when we come back uh, from a short break, as well as um, what does it mean to respect the off switch uh, as you refer to it? Um, and what we've learned about um, the precious, sacred human connections that bind us uh, by looking into each other's living rooms and kitchens and bedrooms as, as we're working uh, from home and from who knows where, uh, what all that means for, for, for the possibilities that are, that are in front of us. Uh, so stay with us, folks. We're going to be right back. I'll continue my conversation with Linda Gratton about her wonderful new book, Redesigning Work. This is Stu Friedman. You're listening to Work and Life on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. Stay with us. We will be right back. You're listening to Work and Life on Business Radio. Welcome back to Work and Life. So glad you're here. I'm your host, Stu Friedman. I'm founding director of Wharton's Work-Life Integration Project, our leadership program here at Wharton, and founder also of Total Leadership, which is a management consulting and training company dedicated to helping individuals and organizations find ways to create harmony among the different parts of life and to perform better in all of them, work, home, community, and your private self. My guest today is Linda Gratton. She's a recognized thought leader, a global thought leader on the future of work and and a good friend. We're talking today about her wonderful new book. It's called Redesigning Work, How to Transform Your Organization and Make Hybrid Work for Everyone. All right. So um, just before the break, I, I mentioned you know, the importance of respecting the off switch and what we have learned, particularly what managers have learned about the the importance of human connections as we've gotten to see into our private spaces through Zoom, uh, that that I think has really opened up a new uh, a new appreciation for who people are beyond the work role. Um, so that sort of stands side by side with uh, well, if you're working from home and you're uh, you know and you're 
living at work and it's all the same, uh, how do you create those those critically important uh, boundaries, psychological boundaries, physical boundaries that enable you to uh, to do the kind of work, whether it's focused attention on individual tasks or cooperative work, where and when it makes sense for you to do so. Yeah, I think I think that is such an important question. One of the things that we noticed, I, I did webinars. I ran webinars right from the beginning of the mm-hmm. pandemic. Mm-hmm. And I uh, I asked people uh, during those webinars, you know, I, I did a lot of polling. So I got a real sense of how people were feeling. And people were overwhelmed, actually, because yep. their boundaries had broken down. You know, as you said, Stu, they're sitting in the room, their kids at, at that stage, if you remember, at the beginning of the pandemic, people were homeschooling their children, which was yes. really tough. Um, they hadn't got into a, a rhythm about how to work in, their, in their, uh, their, their studies and so on. So that wasn't working very well. And they were exhausted. Mm-hmm. As we come out of the pandemic, I think that managing boundaries is going to be one of the most critical individual skills you have, but also it's a skill that managers need mm-hmm. to have as well. What does that look like? Yes. Well, you know, it looks it looks like managing both time and place. So managing time, I spoke earlier about how some tasks require you to be focused. And when you're focused, you must not be disturbed. Uh, you know, we have this idea that people can multitask. They can only multitask when the task is extremely simple. Any task that's in any way uh, more complex requires you to focus. So the first thing is you, and it is, I'm afraid, down to you as an individual, have to say, I am now going to focus on this activity and I'm not going to be disturbed for three hours. I mean, that's the period. It's between two and three hours. And you have to put that into your diary. You have to tell people around you. You have to have team agreements about that. Without that, your productivity will absolutely suffer. That's what CCL found. When productivity went up during the pandemic, it mostly went up because people were not being disturbed when they sat in their office. So that's CCL the first thing. Is, are you talking about the Center for Creative Leadership? Did they No, no, actually, I'm not. But, but I could be because it, I'm, talk, I'm talking about CPP. There okay. you go. I was thinking about, see, I haven't, we haven't talked about them for so long now. I'm talking no, we about haven't. Canadian, but no, we could sorry. So you were referring to that firm. I'm in, talking about CPP, yeah. but yeah, the Canadian pension fund. And, and they found, you know, that people productivity increased during the, right. the COVID because they weren't in, in, being interrupted all the time. So right. t- interrupting time is really important. The second thing that people have found about boundaries is that part of the reason we like going into the office is that we create a boundary between ourselves at home, our work, our home identity and our office identity. And in some cases, you know, if being at home is being like, you know, a mom who is incredibly empathic and thoughtful and then being into the, going into the office, you're a hard driven salesperson. That's a role conflict. And so the more you break those roles up, the easier it is. So as we move into hybrid, we have to find habits and ways of, of actually going from one identity to another identity. Mm-hmm. So we have to think about how we manage the boundaries of our identity. And then I think in terms of place. Let me just pause you know, on that setting. for a moment. I, I think of course, what you're, what I thought you're you'd, you'd want to jump in. It, well, it's so central to, to what's what each and every one of us has to discover. And it also um, you know, harkens back to what you were saying earlier about you know, no one really has the the blueprint for how it's all going to look 
uh, you know, five years from now, and that the key is to have an experimental mindset and to be, you know, learning from what's happening around you in the blooming, buzzing confusion that is emergent uh, with the models of how people are living and working, and then trying out for yourself or your company what might be possible so that you can then see what works and what doesn't. Your, your notion of, of testing, you know, creating models and then testing is, uh, I, th- I think, crucial. So, you know, maybe three hour chunks is not going to be feasible for everyone. So you might try an hour to get started and see, can you maintain consistent focus for but an hour of, of undisturbed time? And then what made that work? And, you know, what what might make it work on a bigger scale if you can expand it? So I think the notion of, uh, you know, continually experimenting is, is crucial. Wouldn't you agree? I absolutely would. And 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 I, I see your point about the three hours. I, I think three hours is about right actually for proper mm-hmm. focus. But mm-hmm. I can see that if you're not used to that, that might feel like a bit of a stretch. But I love your idea, uh, Stu, of of saying experiment, trial with your own p- habits and behaviors. You know, the pandemic has has changed our habits. It's we've become much more skillful, particularly around the our use of technology. Our attitudes have changed. You know, we're not scurrying into the office all the time because of we're worried about presenteeism. So mm-hmm. we've already, this has been an astounding period of experimentation. Mm-hmm. And I agree with you, we need to continue on that process. You need that experimental mindset where you say, I'm going to try to make this work. You know, I'm going to talk to my team. If I was a manager, for example, I would be saying to my team now, okay, let's have a team agreement. Let's see how we're going to work together. Let's be sure that, for example, one of the real, we talked about the off switch and the on switch. One of the most uh, energy draining aspects of the pandemic has been that people have, scheduled Zoom meetings back to back right mm-hmm. the way through the day. Why have they done it? Well, because it was it's an easy thing to do. It's the easiest mm-hmm. thing in the world. It's t- t- technology to use. And it's our default. It has to, if I was a manager, I'd say, stop having so many meetings. You know, minimize the number of meetings you have, only have meetings where you absolutely know that it's really important that that people coordinate and actually encourage people to work on their own and then share things in an asynchronous way rather than always trying to make people synchronized in terms of uh, of them coming together. So So sharing asynchronously, let's just clarify what that means for listeners. Uh, that would be, you know, uh, well, what, what examples occur to you? As well, well, an example, for example. Yeah. And so, so for example, one of the things I do with my team, um, which has really come from the, from the research that, that, you know, people have done during COVID is to say, before we meet, let's each of us write down what, 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 what's on our mind about this problem. That's sort of asynchronous. We're not meeting with each other. Mm-hmm. We're not in the same time. We can do it whenever we want. And then when we meet synchronously, virtually often initially, so we'd mm-hmm. come onto Zoom or a, a Microsoft meeting and we would meet to then look at what we've all thought about and then it may be that we then meet in a synchronous, you know, face-to-face way where we then say, okay, well, let's meet in the office next week and talk more about this. So what the manager's doing or the team leader's doing is they're realizing they've got a whole toolkit there. They don't always have to go 
straight into let's make it so that everybody meets on Zoom every hour of the day, because that's part of the reason that's exhausting. You know, Stu, you and I are both psychologists, and we know that the psychology of looking at yourself all the time is odd. We know the brain is finding that difficult to to, to manage that. That's my hair, by the way. Your hair's looking good. What about <laughs> mine? How do you how do you think? What do you think about my okay. hair? Okay, listeners, as you may have, about my hair? we we are we are on Zoom as we're recording this, and so we see each other. And I'm just being silly as I'm referring to the problem that people have on Zoom yes. with looking at themselves and worrying about how yes. they're coming across, right? Yeah, constantly, and and that's the weirdest thing. And it and apparently the brain has to do a huge amount of cognitive work to mm-hmm. both. Think about, oh, how am I looking? You know, I'm mm-hmm. seeing, I have never looked at myself. In fact, I was just looking at myself a moment ago and thinking, God, I look just like my sister. Uh, um, so, so not only am I talking to you, but I'm also, my brain is also saying, oh, God, I look just like my sister. So, you know, there's a lot to be done on a Zoom call. You I, don't have to do that. You so, don't have to do it so much. And yet what you you're suggesting so that managers need to do is is quite complex is it not it's like oh let's just meet all the time and not have to think about which mode or yeah. you know whether it's synchronous or asynchronous yeah it's, right? it's, 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 it's just kind of the default it's, it's like the model t let's just have everybody drive the same yeah. car the same yeah. color it's yeah easier. and i can see why everybody's you know not why everyone but i can see why lots of managers are just saying i can't bear it by the way they're going to be there's going to be a massive pushback on that so so I'm this rich. is not we're not in an end game by any means yet, Stu. I mean, we are far from the end game. There's a whole journey that goes through. You know, in the book, I talked about those four stages. And, you know, we, we've only really got through one or two of them. We've sort of begun to understand what people want, but we haven't really. We've begun to imagine. We've begun to test things out and realize that some of the ideas we had were quite unfair. And we've only really begun to enact an action because a a, a CEO can say, I want everybody back in the office. But it doesn't mean everyone's coming back in the office. And it doesn't mean that some people are going to leave as a consequence. So there's still, to use that Liverpool and (coughs) Arsenal, there's still a lot in play. Uh, probably, we probably haven't even got to the half time. There's no, still another. Yeah, there's still the a lot more. Beautiful game is still unfolding. Okay, this that's fair. Beautiful game uh, is and, still unfolding. And well, you know, I, I wanted to um, bring bring us in this last bit that we have together uh, to, to some of the larger questions that we all face. But let me just remind listeners. Folks, this is Work and Life on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. I'm your host, Stu Friedman, and I'm very glad you're with us today. I'm speaking with Linda Gratton, who's a professor of management practice at the London Business School, uh, where she is right now, and that's where we're speaking to her from, uh, actually at her home in London, which is probably near the London Business School. Uh, She's the author of a wonderful new book called Redesigning Work. She's got a a, a, a small satchel full, it's probably a big <laughs> satchel full of other books. I mean, a lot of great work over the course of an amazing career, but this latest one is really quite timely, Redesigning Work. Uh, I urge you to to explore it, to, to learn from it, to use it. I wanted to turn our attention, Linda, to some of the bigger questions that we all face, like climate change, and yeah. wonder, as you think about you know, the future of work and how especially young people, but some of us, you know, who are uh, closer to the to the horizon are thinking about the future of humanity. 
on 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 the planet uh, and as we think about you know a uh, hundred year life how does all that fit with what you're saying here uh in our conversation and in and in redesigning work your new book about um what managers companies need to be thinking about as as they reimagine you know what's possible what's necessary well, I- you know, it's such an important question. And in fact, I'm very fortunate, Stu, as you are, to be teaching MBA students. And, and I teach a class about the future of work. And one of the exam questions I set them was the future of work and, uh, you know, what's happening to the environment. And I, mm-hmm. and I just today uh, marked the scripts so I can, bring it, I can bring you their ideas straight from a, a very smart London Business School MBA group. Okay, so uh, but script, I do, by scripts, you mean like papers that they've written for your class? Yes, right? they, they wrote papers. Yeah, they wrote papers. We don't on, call them scripts um, in the U.S., but I oh, just wanted, sorry. To, wanted to do that translation okay. for our listeners. Yes, so you've been you, reading these you. today. Tell yeah, us, only today. What are, yes, what are people today. saying? Well, that's the interesting. I did actually write about it in the book, Stu. So I'm not entirely dependent on my MBAs for insight, although they are a very insightful bunch. Here's the thing. Firstly, you know, when we started the pandemic, people said, oh, it's great because people are now working from home and they're not going into the office. And so, you know, we won't be using so much CO2. We won't be creating. But actually, that's not the case because, depending on the country you're in and the office that you're in, in general, offices, most modern offices have been designed to really, you know, capture CO2. They're not, they're mm-hmm. not creating CO2 in the way that my house in London does. I live in Primrose Hill. It's an 1830s house. And in fact, I've just closed all the shutters, the physical shutters, just to keep the heat in because it's so, the, mm-hmm. the heat is so poor in, in a house like this. So, so that's not straightforward. But the real one is transport, uh, right. which is both getting people to work, and also flying them around the world. It turns out, Stu, yeah. not that you and I ever travel first class, but if we did, then that uses an enormous amount of CO2. Mm-hmm. So if we can reduce the amount of travel, if we can encourage people to uh, to cycle to work or to walk to work or to use electric cars or to use uh, you know transport that uses electricity, that's going to make a huge difference to how we work. And I do think that... As we think about redesigning work, that's got to be a very important question that we ask, which is how can we redesign work in a way that's more sustainable? But interestingly, one of my uh, MBA groups also came up and said, well, look, Linda, you've talked about sustainability in terms of carbon, but what about human sustainability? Mm -hmm. And they were really talking about how, you know, eating more sensibly means that you're not using, you know, they talked about, you know, animals and how much carbon dioxide animals use and how, if you work from home, you could have better, better healthy diets. Or if you went into the office, maybe the office could give you more vegetarian food, etc. Look, I think the point is, Stu, and it's about your experimental mindset. All I did with my MBA students was ask them a simple question, which was, what could we do as we redesign work to Mm -hmm. reduce our carbon footprint? And they came up with some brilliant ideas. I think we just have to get into that mindset. I think, by the way, young people have it a lot more. And I'm, as you know, I'm not one who likes to stereotype about age, but I do see that you know, my kids, your kids are very, my MBA students are very focused 
on on making the world a better place. Yes. And I think that it, you know we have the opportunity with hybrid and and diff- and a new way of working to reduce the carbon footprint. Because frankly, you know, putting people on a plane all the time to go to meetings, putting them into a train every day, a diesel train to go to the office, putting them in offices that use high amounts of energy. Couldn't that's just cannot cannot be sensible in the long term. No, there's lots of evidence that, especially in the early days of the pandemic, uh, with so many people you know flocking to home based work, that uh, you know the 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 uh, emissions you know were radically reduced in in major cities yeah. around the world, and so you know it's building on that knowledge um, to you know food consumption and perhaps, you know, new tools for how we, uh, for how we communicate, how we cooperate that might make it even easier over time for us to be, um, you know, anywhere, anytime in that very, the very nice two by two framework that you described. Maybe you can give us a minute on that in terms of how to think about the anywhere, anytime model. Well, the model in the book was, I basically, it's a two by two, you know, those of you who know professors like Stu and I know we love two by twos. We don't see our life complete without a two by two. So my two by two has got place on one axis and time on the other. And it basically says, look, you can play around with that model. You can, you can use any part of that. You could become, you could say, let's make time more flexible. Let's make place more flexible. And that's really the model that's that, that the actual model of the structure of work in terms of the process of work. I've got another model, which is a circular model, which takes the reader through imagination and you know, understanding, imagination, testing, and actioning. And I think that combination of those two models is 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 a really i'm sort of sort of quite proud of them because they're simple but at the same time i think they encompass Stu, a lot of what you and i have known for many years you know like a, about the nature of change about the nature of flexibility about the nature of autonomy about the nature of time really and and freedom to to, yeah. to shape it in a way that fits with your values um, yeah. which is really where you begin and and end so as we as we bring this conversation home what what do you want to leave our listeners with in terms of uh what we're well back to where we began uh now that people have a better sense of what what uh redesigning work your your new book is about what what do you want to uh convey about what you're hoping uh will happen uh, in the years to come yeah. and, and, and how this book might, might help people. Well, you know, Stu, I have an enormous regard for you and the way that you bring ideas. And I just want to just simply reinforce the point that you made, which is freedom to shape. Mm-hmm. You know, we now have freedom to shape our lives in a way that I've never experienced mm-hmm. in the life that I've led and the life looking at organizations. Let us seize that point of freedom. And we seize it as individuals by being social pioneers, by being prepared to sort of push back on some of the the ways of working that never really worked for us. We can really Mm -hmm. change now. And then let's also... If we're if we're leaders in organization, let's be sure that we look outside to see what others are doing, to be imaginative and creative. So it's just 
an, an amazing time to be thinking about this, Stu, as organizations begin that process of refreezing. Let's be sure that we really use our freedom to shape our lives before organizations freeze. It is possible. And really anyone can participate in this. Linda, thank you so much for being my guest today. How can our listeners find out more about the great work that you're doing? Well, they can go to my website, www.lindagratton.com. That's Uh, with a Y, by the way. Yeah, that's right. Thank you. It's Linda with a Y. Yes. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm in LinkedIn. Uh, Yeah. Or just send me an email, lgratton at london.edu. What about the... um... The Future of Work uh, Research Consortium. Can you give us 30 seconds on that? Oh, yeah. Well, the way I do research is through Research Consortium. It's had about 90 companies in it. Just drop me a line and I, I can tell you about that. But if you go to my website, I also, the website's quite good, actually. I've put a lot of effort into it's putting beautiful. You know, resources and stuff. We've, we've, we've redesigned it for the book launch. So do take a look at it and you'll see that there's, I've written, you know, endlessly and you can download a lot of that or watch me on videos so you can see how lovely lovely my hair is and how much I look like my sister. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure she'd be pleased to hear that, Linda. Um, Thank you again for for being a part of this conversation uh, that we have every week. It's really been a pleasure. Thank you, Stu. And thank you for listening. I uh, would welcome your reactions. You can write to me uh, at friedman at wharton.upenn.edu, or you can write to our station, which is business radio at SiriusXM.com. You can tune in next week. I hope you do. 5 p.m. Eastern time in the United States. And uh, if you uh, have ideas about people we should be talking to on the, on this show, again, get in touch. Love to hear from you. Um, you can find uh, edited versions of m- most of our shows as free podcasts uh, eventually at totalleadership.org, where you can also find well all kinds of free resources, videos, uh, book chapters, articles. It's a good site. It's not as beautiful as Linda's site, but it's <laughs> it, it it does the job. Uh, and there's information there also about what our company does to help create greater harmony and better performance in all the different parts of life. One of the things we've been doing this year, uh, loyal listeners might recall, is to be um, thinking about home and the meaning of home and how music helps us connect to home. And I've been collecting hundreds of uh, songs that are about home. And there's lots of different ways that home is thought about. Uh, in music and in life, of course. And uh, today, we, uh, in, in honor of our having a guest from, from London, are going to be listening to a piece, a small piece of the Rolling Stones' Moonlight Mile. Uh, so if you have thoughts about that or any other songs about home, it's another reason to get in touch with me, Friedman at Wharton.upenn.edu. Thanks so much for listening. Really appreciate your um, your writing to us with your ideas, your reactions to the show. And uh, until next time, folks, we are Work and Life on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM 132. See you next time.